Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 51. Whoa. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Soviet mining expert, Chris Reagan. <laughs> yeah, it's me. I survived. You survived the Chernobyl disaster? Yeah, I just got really lucky, I guess. Yeah, I you're stepped here. in here between all, those, uh, all that graphite. <sighs> Pretty crazy, man. Pretty, Pretty hairy up there in the Ukraine, I'll tell you. Yeah. By the way, I grew up saying the Ukraine and I even heard it learned as the Ukraine, but that's not proper. Apparently, a few years ago, someone's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be said. Why did everyone start calling it that? 
It's just Ukraine. It's just Ukraine. Yeah. But people do, used to so don't you remember it, the Seinfeld episode where they're playing the game on the on the on the train and the guy from the Ukraine's like, Ukraine is strong. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, <laughs> and he bashes the wrist board. That's all I. That's <laughs> that's how I learned about Ukraine. That's that's all of the knowledge you have of Eastern <laughs> European geography. Yeah, basically. Chris, we are in the afterglow of E3. We appreciate everyone listening to both of our episodes last week. Episode 50, of course, was our E3 episode. And we also did a special episode, special episode four called Opposition Research, all about Xbox. Really appreciate you guys. Patreon did really well. Appreciate your support over there. Patreon.com slash Collins last stand. Early ad free access to every episode of our show. The ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas, etc. We really appreciate you. Sacred Symbols is really starting to blow up. Yeah, means a lot. Starting to blow up like that nuclear reactor. Almost hey, blew hey, up. Hey, 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 it melted down. It did melt down. It's this, the China syndrome, as they used to call it. <laughs> now, Chris, before we get into everything, we have some news to get into. Lots of new games came out this week. I also wanted to integrate plenty of, from the audience. There are a few things that we need to correct because we were moving kind of quickly last week. Yeah, a lot of new info that new was info. being digested very quickly. Indeed. That is indeed true. But the first thing is just an unforced error that a lot of people had brought up to me. So... Last week, I know we were talking about Cyberpunk 2077, which is due out next year from CD Projekt. Really excited about that game. It looks really fun. Already kind of controversial with the predictable journalist types. Yeah, same old. But I had said in our write-up that this was their own IP, which I had always assumed it was. But it's not. They don't own this IP. So yeah. I thought that CD, CD Projekt doesn't own the Witcher IP. I thought that this was a way for them to kind of integrate some of their own ideas into something that they can control. They don't. Cyberpunk 2077 is actually adapted from a tabletop role-playing game from 1988 called Cyberpunk 2020. And I was reading about it, and apparently the dude who made it is still pretty active in making tabletop role-playing games and is you know still bouncing around. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's weird, because I knew about that tabletop role-playing game, but I also kind of assumed that Cyberpunk was just kind of a generic, like... I, I kind of equated it to Steampunk, kind of. Like, nobody yeah. owns Steampunk. That's what I thought as well. You know? But I was wrong. Whoops. So there you guys go. Cyberpunk 2077, if you didn't know, it seems like a lot of you did, is actually based on the 1988 tabletop role-playing game Cyberpunk 2020, which apparently has multiple editions, and you can still probably play it if you can find people nerdy enough. Maybe you have to go on, like, IRC or something like that. There was a guy when I went to college. He was a really nice guy. He lived with a friend of mine, Chris, in our freshman dorm, and he would go on Merc, M-I-R-C, which is an old internet yeah, relay yeah. chat thing. I think people probably still use it. And he would be in this Star Wars chat room. And oh it was like this God. live action LARPing Star Wars thing. Ooh. So he'd have a headset on Ooh. and we would just sit, be, be sitting there smoking a joint or playing games or whatever. And he'd be there being like, yes, Commander, I'll get right on it. And like like you would just hear him talk like every few minutes as they were doing this random thing. This is like what this guy did. And he was a very friendly guy. But I was like, well, that just showed me even what, 16 years ago now. There are nerd communities that will do just about anything. <laughs> They'll there, even, there are nerd communities within nerd communities. They'll even dress up in animal. I don't know if you know anything about this. There are people that dress up as animals and fuck other people dressed up as animals. Did oh, you, furries. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, could I could believe that you've gone this long without hearing about it, to be honest. It's a little frightening, right? I usually don't judge people's kinks. You got to do what you got to do as long as no one's getting hurt. Everyone's consenting. But this desire to fuck dogmen is a little weird. To, even for me, right? You want to fuck a dog, man? You want to fuck a cat, man? I guess. I can't, we're going to... Hey, let's go to the next thing, huh? All right. <laughs> Steve Corber wrote into us on Patreon. He has a little bit of a long write-up, but this is another important correction because we've been talking about Stadia 
Google's upcoming, for people that don't know, Google's upcoming platform, their streaming platform. We've mm-hmm. been talking about it a little inaccurately, or at least what I would say is flippantly. So right, Steve Corbo wrote in, Chris, with some corrections. He says, hey, guys, longtime listener, first time writing in. I've been listening to both of you talk about Stadia and think there might be some misinformation. I think Chris keeps saying it will cost money to play, period. I think this is false. Next year, they are launching a Stadia base membership, which is free, and all you do is buy games to play them. The Stadia Pro membership works like a PS Plus membership where you get free games and better discounts. Also, Colin, you had said 10 Mbps results in 30 frames. I believe this is also false. I think they are 60 frames as long as you meet the 10 Mbps minimum. By the way, I should throw in here. This is me now again, guys, before I finish Steve's letter. I had said that my Internet was around there. I looked and it's uh, I thought that that was true. That's also inaccurate. My Internet's faster than that. Everything's inaccurate. <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe. Well, I agree 720p is practically the Stone Age in 2019. I just wanted to make sure all the facts about it were straight. I'm also skeptical about how about it like you both are, but I'm very interested in how it will play. I am shocked LA has such bad internet speeds. Now, this is true. LA's internet is horrible. It's horrendous. It's the worst internet I've ever had living anywhere. I live in rural Ontario, Canada in a town of about 5,000 people, and I have fiber connection with up to one gig one GPPS speeds, I guess, is what, yeah. what, what does that have to be like 20 times? That's, faster that's than pretty get? good. Must be nice. My parents live on a farm 20 minutes away and they get 50 Mbps using a technology called WiMAX. And that's kind of what I get. Anyway, just felt like writing in as always. Keep up the great work. That's good stuff. We've been talking a little bit about Stadia in an inaccurate way, I think. That's true. So I wanted to correct the record. This is not a Stadia podcast, of course, but I wanted to throw that out there. By the way, speaking of frame rates, did you see, were you here when we were talking? No, you weren't, I don't think. So Dustin, our editor, was here for E3 with his own company, and we were hanging out here a couple days ago, and we were talking about The Witcher 3 coming in to Switch. Did you know that The Witcher 3 is running at, like, below 720 on, on Switch or something that like that? That doesn't surprise me at all. I can't believe that. It's a Switch, though. I mean, like, people people don't seem to be bothered by it yeah. who own Switches because it's like, hey, of course it's going to be worse. But the fact that you can play it at all is pretty amazing. Is that true? Can it really be below 720? I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of games that came out on the 360 period or like the PS3 period were running at sub 720. Well, that's not surprising. Yeah. Because those machines are ancient. I don't know. I just heard, I was seeing a lot of people make fun of the Witcher port. Yet another port coming to Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Enjoy. At least it's a good port. Yeah. It's, Which it's, is a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty great game. Hey apparently. Man, I don't know. If you enjoy your Switch, more power to you. Aaron plays Pokemon Go or no Pokemon Let's Go on Switch. Yeah. That's pretty much the only Switch playing going on. In this I house. could not play. I, <laughs> I could not play Witcher 3 at that at that frame rate or, or at that that resolution. 15 I don't think I could frames do a second at 480i. I got Doom because I thought it'd be like, hey, I can play Doom on the go. That's awesome. But it's just like it just reminds me of how much worse it is on, on the Switch <laughs> compared to literally anything else. Are you ready for the corrections to continue? Yes. Tanner Brandt wrote in and said, hey, boys, just a quick correction. Tales of Berseria was the first game in the series without Baba, Hideo Baba at the helm. It it was great. And the last Remnant remaster came out on PS4 last year. So these are two more errors that we need to correct. Or these are my errors now. I can't blame Chris for this. We can blame Chris for the Stadia errors. That's fine. And I'll be happy to do that. But I'm going to take the credit for these errors. Now, I didn't believe Tanner when he wrote in. So last week we were talking about Hideo Baba, who was the longtime Tales producer, went to Square Enix, started Studio Istolia, was going to make a new AAA RPG. Then that got all shut down and now he's gone. No one knows where Hideo Baba is. That's probably, that last part's probably not true. Someone probably knows where <laughs> Hideo sure, Baba I'm is. I'm sure there's at least one He's with soul. his family or something. But Tales of Berseria came out in 2016, which is after Baba left, I think. So this all makes sense. Anyway, I looked. You're absolutely right. 2015. Tales of Zestiria was his last produced game. And you're also right. The Last Remnant came out last year, 2018, on PlayStation 4 in December. 
So there you go. All right. Now let's get out of all of this and get okay. into some inquiries before we get into the news and the games we're playing. Will Vlander or Thaylander wrote in and said, what do you think about this year's E3 being boring for most people? I think it was due to holding all the games for next gen, whatever that means at this point. Chris, how do you feel basking in the afterglow of E3 2019? I think overall I was pretty happy, but I could see that this is very much the year before the big one. You know, this is very much an off year or like a year where a lot of things are being held off because there's a lot that can't be said yet about the next gen and like how games will run and how they'll function and like what exactly will be what exactly will be present on those platforms. It does seem kind of like one of those mystery years. I think that's probably the main reason why Sony didn't show up, to be honest. I don't think it really has anything to do with them thinking E3 is dead, although that's probably true. But I do think it comes down mostly to the fact that, yeah, it's an off year. We don't have anything yet. Sorry. I think so, too. I think that you have to stay in a holding pattern. First of all, observers of E3 will note that E3 typically moves in three year cycles. If you read about E3s, there are like really big E3s every three years or so. Mm -hmm. And I think next year's E3 is going to be another one of those years similar to 2013 and so on and so forth. It kind of works roughly in that cadence, give or take a year. So I was also quite pleased with it. But I did hear from multiple people that came through the house or the apartment and that I was talking to and went to dinner with a few people, including my uh, good friend Gio Corsi, who is the head of Sony's second party. We had a really nice dinner while he was out here. But what I was hearing from others was that it was boring and mm-hmm. that it was pretty empty and that e- ESA, the runners of E3, said that 3,000 fewer people were there this year than last year, but that it felt like way fewer than that. And I think the reason is, is because publishers and companies buy their badges en masse and then people just don't show up or just don't go. So I think that that's kind of what's happening but I don't know what people expected either. Like what? So think about it. Sony has nothing that they didn't already announce the year before. Yeah. So think about how bad E3 was for Sony last year from that point of view. They've announced nothing that is of any consequence since then. You have like maybe Medieval and a few of these other games like Ready Set Heroes and stuff. But other than that, there's pretty, not much doing. Pretty barren. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I kind of get excited by the silence personally. Yeah. I don't know. I was happy. I was, you know, Chris. I don't say I want to say I was happy because I'm never happy, (laughs) but I will say I was pleased. Yeah, that's fair. Dwayne Hankins wrote in and said, Colin and Chris, now that we're a few days removed from E3. Oh, actually, we are. Sorry, Dwayne. We already covered this, I guess, because we accidentally integrated your question in because he asked, how do we think about Sony skipping out on the show as well? Dwayne, you had a good question, but we accidentally answered it already. We appreciate you anyway. This allows us to move on to Samuel Mills who said, hello, gentlemen, hope you are both doing well. My question is in regards to many people's negative reactions to Microsoft's E3 showing. I tend to agree with your assessment, and I think they did exactly what they needed to do. While it would have been nice to see gameplay for the next Halo and maybe a price point for Scarlet, I frankly wasn't expecting it. Do you think that people's expectations for E3 are set way too high? Or is it just that Microsoft can do no right in their eyes? I realize this is a PlayStation podcast, but I've noticed some PlayStation fans are very quick to dismiss Microsoft. I'm not trying to stir the pot with the idiocy of console wars, but I just like to call balls and strikes when I see them, which is what you gentlemen always do. Hope this all made sense. Good day to you. Feel free to ignore this if it's too long or leave out some of it. Too late. I've read the entire thing. And indeed, I don't like calling strikes, but I like calling balls. You understand what I'm saying? No. Balls. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like this conversation. I don't like this exchange. Chris, Microsoft at E3. Again, we did Oppo research. We We did did. our own. And again, that's a joking term. We don't look at it like (laughs) that. Now, a lot of people reached out to me, and I think you saw it too, Chris, on Twitter and uh, other places. People were two things. Either in complete disagreement with us that Microsoft did well at E3 or did what they needed to do. I think you're a little less high on them than I was. But also that people 
kind of do perpetuate what Samuel was calling the console war here. Mm-hmm. I do feel he says something really important here, which I think is he says, do you think people's expectations for E3 are set way too high? Or is it just that Microsoft can do no right in their eyes? I think both of those things are true. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of people that look at Xbox and it doesn't matter if they sh- if they showed Halo gameplay. Someone you would have found something else to complain about. They obviously can't price the Scarlet yet because the Scarlet is probably not even fully built mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Do you, are, do you agree with me? I, I really do want to hit this drum that I feel like people are just being too hard on Microsoft. I think, like, I don't get it. I, I just, I really, I've said this before, but I just think it's the younger brother syndrome. I think they're like the newest kid on the block, even though they've been around for a while relative to like a lot of other things. And they've been around for a while in literal years. They are still the new kids on the block as far as everybody in the gaming sphere is concerned. So I feel like Nintendo gets the most leeway because they've been around the longest time. They could show literally, they could show Samus Aran doing a, a Fortnite dance and it would get, it, people would flip the fuck out about it. it. It would win like the best of E3. Sony is like in that middle ground where like they can do kind of a lot right. And even if they fuck up, it's kind of like, ah, well, whatever, you know, it's, it's whatever. It's, it's PlayStation. Remember, remember Metal Gear? <laughs> <laughs> and Xbox is like that last one where it's like, hey, Halo's great, but that's it. You know, there's still the, the new people. They're still trying to figure stuff out. They're doing all these weird. They're really, especially now that they're focusing more on like, you know, uh, the user experience of being a part of Xbox as opposed to just like what you're getting on it. Uh, the the whole Game Pass for PC and all that stuff is like these are all great things, but I don't think they necessarily translate to excitement in the way that we normally consider E3 excitement to be. Indeed, it's just complicated because, like you're saying, it's an optical game so much so as it is also a literal game, mm-hmm. right? Like they have literal products that are competing on a literal market. There are only so many people that can buy these products, so it is a corporate exercise. But from this, uh, this is why I don't like E3, because I don't think it's an effective way for these companies to message anything. And like you said, mm-hmm. Nintendo's always going to win in people's eyes and Sony's always going to win in other people's eyes and Xbox can't do right or whatever. I'm a little disappointed in the rampant fanboyism that always <laughs> surrounds this stuff. Now, I know yeah. dude, I've been in the gaming industry since 2002. I'm not new to this. Yeah. But I just kind of feel like we got to grow out of this. Like we're getting to a point where things are becoming more integrated and that's a positive. So this abusive shit that goes on online with fans of different consoles and all this yeah, stuff, I, yeah. think, I think it's somewhat silly. It is annoying. Straw Hat Ninja wrote in, germane to your question, Chris. He says, hello, gentlemen. I was just wondering if I could get some quick thoughts on the Nintendo Direct from you guys. Is Chris excited for Breath of the Wild 2? And how surprised are both of you that Banjo is in Smash now? I called that, by the way. What'd you call? Banjo being in Smash. Did you really? Yeah. On this show? I don't know about on this show, but I tweeted about it before, it, like way before it happened. Oh, interesting. Did yeah. you make sure to bubble that tweet up i did i brought it up excellent so you have to rub that kind of stuff in people's faces when it happens now i was going to say i was going to pat myself on the back i feel like you have a more of a reason though if you actually literally predicted this it was only a week or two ago that i was going on and on about how sony has nothing to lose by letting its characters in the smash brothers Mm. right and this is a great example of there being nothing to lose nothing right like banjo and so for people that don't know banjo kazooie was an n64 game made by rare Rare was then sold with their IP to Microsoft and became an Xbox developer. Now, this was a big deal back in the day for the younger gamers. This was a big deal because Rare was in bed with Nintendo since the NES days. They made a shit ton of games over the years. They probably made the best games on that on that console, honestly. On N64? Yeah. They were definitely one of the the premier, you know, Jeff Force, Gemini and a bunch of other games. They put a lot of stuff out there on N64. So this is 
a really nice full circle story if you're a Nintendo fan, but also just another example of like, what do you have to lose? Why isn't Kratos in there? Why, why isn't someone now, if Nintendo's like, fuck you guys, we don't want anything to do with you. That's one thing. But <laughs> yeah. if the reason is the other way, if the reason is that Sony's not approaching them and being like, what can we do? Why can't we be in your game? Can we give you Sackboy? Can we give you uh, Ratchet? Like, who, who makes sense in this game? Sackboy would be cool. Yeah, Sackboy's, super, yeah. Sackboy's a super cool character. Like, I love that character. So, you know, and obviously you can put Drake in there, you can put whatever, but you really want your cartoon characters in there. And so I really hope that we're going to see something like that. And Ratchet, I think, is actually a really great target because, you know, we haven't... There's going to be more Ratchet and Clank, obviously. The 2016 Ratchet and Clank was a big success. Ratchet and Clank is going to be part of PlayStation's future. That would be a really nice character to get in there. Maybe a little bit more relevant than Sackboy, who hasn't seen a new game from Media Molecule since 2011 and a new little big planet. About that's four years true, old. yeah. So I really was very excited. That was the most exciting thing out of that direct for me because I was like, this is great. Like, this is so... This is so cool because now we're getting yeah. Sony's really the only player not involved now. Even Konami has a fucking character in it and everyone <laughs> hates Konami. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, the Nintendo Direct was I was happy with it, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I'm really only interested in Zelda. Really? That's really about it. I don't know. Nintendo just doesn't really facilitate anything that I particularly am interested in anymore. I like Banjo, though. It's nice to see him in there. Yeah, it's cool. It just fits very thematic. Thematically, it fits perfectly. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, as far as the direct, I didn't watch it. I just lo- went through the news and looked. That yeah. Zelda games many years out, I'm sure. And oh yeah, several. Oh, so we're gonna talk about some of the games that were announced because they're coming to PS4 as well. But I think Nintendo again did what they had to do. Nintendo's in the driver's seat right now, so they're in good. They're in great shape. Now I think that Nintendo's fortunes could change, not in a dramatically bad way. But I think that once the new consoles are out, they're really powerful. Ports are going to become impossible. That's probably going to really that's going to be a problem for switch sure. down <laughs> for sure. That's going to be a problem. But that's why I really am convinced that they're going to make another one. Yeah, like they're, yeah, they're going to immediately iterate. They probably to. are going to iterate on this as quickly as they can because they have something really special here with switch. I think the final pre what games we're playing. We've been going for a while now already, so I'm sorry that we're taking so long, but shit fucking deal with it. It's my show. Jeremy Miller wrote in. Said, hi there, Colin and Chris. My nephew is turning five soon, and I've always had an itch to get him into video games. My question is, what age do you think you should introduce gaming to a child, and what consoles would be a good start? My idea is the PSP, as the Vita is too big for his hands, and there is an extensive library of games as well as a backlog of PS1 games. It also means his parents don't need to worry about setting up a console to the TV. Best wishes from New Zealand, which is a country next to Australia. It is. That is. (laughs) I'm very aware now. Now, Chris, we're not fathers. No. I am a uncle to six children. It's also been a long time since I've been a child. Yeah, it's been so. a very long time. Longer for me than for you, but it's been a while. I like the idea. For, so first of all, it's a tradition in my family, especially for my three nephews that are my one of my sister's kids. I bought them a PS3 one, you know, I bought, I bought them a PS4. I bought them a Switch. They're all ages 12, right now 12 to five or six, I guess. Yeah. So they were really young when I was buying them the stuff and I integrated them quickly and they and they understand video games. They know how to play them. It's, you know, not that this is an important skill set, of course, but they know how to play. They understand video games like they they're into it. They lo- So I think introducing them to it to them early is is good. Now, I don't think PSP is a good idea. And the reason I think that is because go look at your PSP sometime. Everyone out there, if you have a PSP somewhere hidden, go go look at Listen, it. Listen, I love the PSP. Don't shit talk the PSP. OK, do you know what I'm saying about the PSP, though? The batteries are fucked up in all PSPs. They <laughs> yeah, are. but you know. if you go, so we had a dr- we had a drawer full of PSPs that actually at my desk at IGN that we hadn't touched in like a long time. And then I opened it 
and like went through them and all of the battery packs were exploded. So the back of the PSP case was like popped off of every one of them. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, is if you think you have a PSP put away that's in working shape, you might not just just throw it out there unless you had the foresight to get rid of that battery. Probably accurate. I was when I my PSP is all fucked up because of it. So I miss my PSP, man. Vita is better than the PSP, so it doesn't really matter. Eh. Chris, what are we playing now? I'll go first just because. I just want to throw this out there. I'm still playing Fell Seal Arbiter's Mark, the Final yeah. Fantasy Tactics game. I only played about 10 hours last week. It was obviously a busy week. I put up a Let's Play for the game today on YouTube, on the Collins Left Stand SideQuest YouTube channel. So you can go look at it. I called it Why It Is My Game of the Year so far. I brought you through a battle. I showed you the menus, all that kind of stuff. So you can go check it out. Highly recommended. Chris, what have you been playing? So I've been going through Borderlands 2. Uh, just to get myself acclimated with that entire universe again. It's been a while since I've finished. I don't even think I finished Borderlands 2 back in the day. So. I didn't either. So uh, I'm trying to get through that again. Uh, but I actually recently started playing World War Z, which was that most recent, like, I guess it's a, z- a recent zombie game again. It's cool, I guess. It's basically Left 4 Dead third person. Like, Saber I, I, Interactive? Right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. It's uh, I, I'm playing it on my Epic account, which is a, it's a press account, so it's free. Just letting you know. I got that for free. But... Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty solid. It's a. It's basically Left 4 Dead in third person, which is exactly kind of the thing that I was looking for. It's not too. It's not so deep that you get in the weeds, uh, worrying about attachments and stats. But it's. Uh, it's not so shallow that it feels like, you know, just this kind of mobile game kind of experience. It's a nice. Uh, it's a nice little game to turn on every once in a while and shoot some zombies, and it feels good. It's a single player game. It's like Left 4 Dead, so you can play it by yourself, mm. or you can play it with other people. I think there's a versus mode where you can play as the zombies. I'm not super sure because I haven't tried it out yet. But uh, I did a couple couple missions. Uh, they're, they're it's fun. It's nice. It's simple. You know, you start it up, you play, you're done. It's good. Cool. Saber Interactive, who I think developed that game, we talked about them a few months ago because they actually yeah. had approached Sony to make the multiplayer component of Days Gone, which Sony turned them down, obviously. Right. But. World War Z is getting actually good reviews, I think. So Sony it's not bad at all. It's better. Yeah. Than, it's better than it has any right to be, considering what it is. It's a movie-based t- tie-in game, kind yeah. of. It's yeah, based what is off it? a it's movie? A, yeah, it's a it's a game based on a movie based on a book. Yeah, <laughs> which is like a disaster. It's like the the most red flags you could possibly have. I I have the book, but I couldn't get through it. It's it's written in journal form, which I hate. I hate. That yeah, shit. it's like an anthology kind of. Yeah, I'm not into it. Brad yeah. Pitt's in the movie, right? Brad Pitt. I don't know. Who cares? Fair enough. Chris, <laughs> let's get into the news. We have a few things to talk about this week. It doesn't seem super heavy. Which it's not is good. super heavy, but it's heavy enough. Yeah. Number one, one of the biggest games revealed at E3 2019 was Square Enix's Avengers game, which has long been in development at developer Crystal Dynamics. Well, we have a few new points as well as points of clarification to go over. For starters, while the publisher made clear that the game would have no loot boxes, this has been confused with it having no microtransactions at all which it does. According to IGN, the game will at the very least include customizable outfits, quote, but there is nothing that affects the gameplay, end quote, according to Crystal. The game's rollout was also incredibly confusing, seeming to indicate that it was a multiplayer-centric game as a service. Now, I want to talk about this. I'll talk about this later. I talked to multiple people that had no fucking idea what this game was. So yeah. this isn't a me problem. This isn't everyone's problem. <laughs> it's confusing. Including people in the industry that I was like, I was like, oh, well, we'll get into this, but I was, I was so confused by this. However, this is also untrue. It's not a game as a service. IGN reports that the game actually plays out kind of like an Uncharted or Tomb Raider game in some respect, with pre-scripted events peppered in between periods of intense gameplay. This isn't a huge surprise, considering Crystal Dynamics pedigree making Tomb Raider games, but the game isn't playable in multiplayer. Only optional side missions are, and those missions are only playable online, not locally. 
And finally, perhaps the biggest point of conversation of all surrounding Square Enix's Avengers is the appearance of the main characters, who kind of resemble cheap knockoff versions of their movie counterparts for obvious licensing and legal reasons. Once again, according to IGN, while developer Crystal Dynamics does hear the complaints of players, quote, there are currently no plans to change our character designs, end quote, according to the game's creative director, Sean Eskeg. So that's a lot. Yeah. Now, I guess, it, to be fair, I get we, we did record right after, so we didn't have the clarification, but that struck me as a game as a service when they were showing it. There was nothing about that sequence at the Square Enix conference that indicated that was a single player game. It seemed very bizarre. It seemed like a multiplayer game focused game. It seemed like sure. it seemed like it was going to be like Anthem or, or Destiny. I mean, that's what it looked like. Like, that's My, the way it looked like to me. I know this is a weird comparison, given that I just mentioned it, but it almost struck me as like kind of like, oh, this is like a a cinematic almost left for dead kind of thing where like you play with other people and they inhabit different characters and you go through like a single player kind of vignette playing with other characters and they have their own sequences. That's what it seemed like. But I guess it's a single player game with multiplayer side missions. Yeah. So there are side missions that kind of peel off the main quest that you can optionally do and then you can jump online. So it's a single player game. And then you find these side quests and then you're put into a matchmaking queue. I guess. And then you match with other players to do those side missions. Got a bad feeling about this game. It's confusing. Yeah, it's very confusing. And like I told you, I talked to multiple people, including someone well-connected at a big publisher who was like, I don't know what that, like, I have no idea what that was. I know people who saw the game and who think it looks cool, but still don't know what the hell it is. So, I mean. It's clear now why Square Enix was so hesitant to show it. Because they don't know what the fuck it is. And also, because it doesn't look very good. And I, I, I'm i kind of interested in if it was in development. I mean, that game was in development and has been in development forever. I want to say that I was still at IGN when I first heard about this game. So this is a game that was, that has been kind of marinating for a while. At least in talks for a long time. Right, yeah. in pre-production, whatever the case might be. So I wanted to do good. I like Square Enix and I like Crystal Dynamics. And even if I didn't, I'd still want the game to do good. But yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like this game has some issues, but I also don't know if it really matters because I think the honest, Avengers is so big. Yeah, I think it'll probably do fine. Honestly, I don't think it's going to be like a huge colossal failure, but I do think it's going to be like one of the most confusing games that until I feel like I won't know what it is until I play it. Yeah. You know, it feels like one of those kinds of things, well, which is will, not the best. You'll apparently play it next year. We'll see. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number two, during Nintendo's E3 press conference, a remake of the old school action RPG Trials of Mana was revealed. 
While it's obviously coming to Switch, it's also coming to PS4. Trials of Mana originally came to Super Famicom in 1995 and is known as Seiken Densetsu 3 in Japan. It was never released outside of Japan, nor was it ever re-released outside of loan Switch collections on the for the franchise, which was only released in Japan. So in other words, this game was stranded on Super Famicom, and then it only came to Switch in Japan only last year. So this is a pretty interesting thing. People had to play fan translations of this for a long time. The remake of the game is slated for launch on PlayStation 4 sometime in the beginning of 2020. The Mana series began back in 1991 with the release of the Game Boy game known as Final Fantasy Adventure, or Seiken Densetsu in Japan. Its sequel, 1993's Seiken Densetsu 2, is perhaps the most beloved game in the franchise, known in the, known in the West as SNES's Secret of Mana. Nerds. So that's a pretty big, that's a nerd announcement, but it's a pretty big nerd announcement. <laughs> yeah, I know. Number three, just in case you aren't being bombarded with enough game subscription services, Square Enix may just be readying one of its own. Jesus Christ. Word comes by way of Game Informer, which also notes that Square Enix would ultimately like to bring all of its games from all eras to as many digital platforms as possible. Quote, we're working on that in a variety of ways. That is a request that we hear often. As far as our major titles go, most of those, we still have variations out that you can play now. The more classic titles that you ha might have played on NES, we are still working hard to make it so you can play those. We actually have launched a dedicated project internally to port those, so we are working to make them available on a variety of platforms. Certainly down the road, we would like to see that on a subscription or streaming service, so we're exploring the possibility of creating a dedicated channel for ourselves. I think everyone is going in that direction, so we want to be proactive in considering those options. We still don't know if it would be a subscription service or an exclusive download service or what form it might take, but we do want to leverage our catalog. Ellipsis. Now, this is this is fucking crazy. She, uh, Nicole Wallace, I think her name is, or, or Kimberly Wallace, I think. Nicole Wallace is a CBS person. Kimberly Wallace, a Game Informer, then asked about some of the missing games. This is a fucking crazy quote. He says, quote, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but in some cases, we don't know where the code is anymore. It's very hard to find them sometimes because back in the day, you just made them and put them out there and you were done. You didn't think of how you were going to sell them down the road. Sometimes customers ask, why haven't you released the game yet? And the truth of the matter is it's because we don't know where it has gone. End quote. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. But this is the thing that's weird to me because I first heard this about 15 years ago with Capcom where they had announced that they were going to bring the Game Boy, the five Game Boy Mega Man games, the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox. And then they released a statement saying that they didn't know where the ROMs were. But my whole thing was, go on the fucking internet yeah. and grab it. Like, I don't understand. This is the big confusing to me. Why do you need the source code? Don't you have... People dump ROMs and then fucking manipulate the shit out of them. And they have no idea what they're doing. So I, I, I guess I'm a little confused by this particular excuse. Why can't you mirror a, an existing port of the game somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, I wonder what the legality is of ripping a ROM of something that's not legally, you know what I mean? Like I if, if you made if you made a game and then it gets stolen and put on the internet, whose work is that? Right, but but even then, Chris, wouldn't they just be able to go and say like, "Hey, we have a fucking case of unopened Final Fantasy 7 copies from 1997 or Final Fantasy 8 from 1998. Go open one of them and rip it." No, yeah, yeah, for like, sure. Like, yeah. Wait, I, just, I, I guess I'm just confused. It is. It Certainly is you'd bizarre. want to work in the original with the original tools and the original code. It's definitely more of a that seems like more of an NES problem or like a cartridge problem than a, you know, yeah, than a, a CD problem. It's very strange. Very odd. Because I, I, I'll never forget that because we still have not gotten the re-releases of the Mega Man Game Boy games because and they're great because Capcom apparently doesn't know where they are. But I can just go online and find 7000 ROMs that are running perfectly of those games. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm a little confused nonetheless. Very weird. Number four, 
When Final Fantasy VII Remake's first part launches early next year, you'll have the option to buy the so-called First Class Edition, which is an edition so first class, it costs $329.99. Jesus fucking, what? what? It can be pre-ordered right this very moment. This version of Final Fantasy VII Remake comes with a game, a steelbook case, an art book, a soundtrack, special DLC, and perhaps most pivotally, Cloud Strife riding his iconic motorcycle. Website Polygon reports that a so-called deluxe edition is also available, which is everything just listed, sans cloud and motorcycle. That only costs $79.99. Square Enix has since confirmed that the first part of the game itself will be two discs, and Final Fantasy VII Remake's subsequent, subsequent parts, should they ever see the light of day, will also be as long. Unfortunately, the publisher still won't comment on how many so-called games the remake will span, other than to confirm that the second portion of the remake is currently in pre-production of some kind. So I was reading conflicting reports from E3, they had said at one point that because they know what they're doing now, that the next part will be quicker. And then they came in and said, no, it won't, it won't be quicker. So I guess they do have the engine in place and they have the character models in place and they have the animations in place and they have all that stuff ready to go, I suppose. So it's, it's probably going it, it probably is going to be quicker. Right. I would imagine it has to be almost. Yeah, I think some of it will be because if they're only showing Midgar. So that's that's only a very limited part of the game. You're only a bit, You only have what? Four playable characters at that point. Tifa, Eris. Cloud and Barrett. So they're going to have to, if they go, if they leave Midgar now, they're going to have to create all these new environments, all these new places. They're going to have to work in Sid and Yuffie and Vincent mm -hmm. and Kate Sith and all these. So I don't know. That's true. Yeah, I suppose. I, I, I guess. Hmm. I wish that instead of them promising more, they just said, like, let's see how this one does. This is going to tell the story about the about Avalanche and the terrorist organization, which is what Final Fantasy seven is about in the beginning. And then if people like it, then we'll work on the next part of the game. I think that that's a little more responsible. Now you're promising, like, I just, Square Enix doesn't know what the fuck it's doing with its, with the way it talks, that's you know? Cool. Like, yeah, that's, that's also one hell of a fucking special edition. I'll say. Evan Smith wrote into us on Patreon. Remember, you can support us on patreon.com slash Stand to hear your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas on our show. He said, yo, hope all is well. I'm a diehard Final Fantasy VII fan. The reveal of the game at the Square Conference put my fears to bed. I was honestly scared that some hokey ad ad adaption of my favorite game was going to be shown off, but alas, they really seem to have captured the spirit and vibe. My question is, do you have any guesses on what the long-term plan might be for the game? Part 2 on PS5? So it can handle the open world, maybe? Lots of love to you both. Well, Part 2, is if it, if it ever happens, is definitely going to be on PS5. They had said something else weird, too, where... And this is, again, the confusion about cross-gen, Chris, is... Someone from Square had said something of like, they're working on the game so it works on both PS4 and PS5. And I'm like, guys, of course it's going to work on both PS4 and PS5. Yeah, you know? yeah of course. That's going to be the way it moves. This is not a story anymore. Yeah. But as far as what I expect out of it, I expect this game is going to do very well. Yeah. But I really do wonder if they set themselves up in such a strange way where like, you're going to play Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1. What are you going to wait? Three years or something? Four years for the next one? Probably like, yeah, probably four years. I don't know. It seems like a weird thing for me. I would have rather them just had remade the game true to the game. Yeah. And then they would have been able to get it all out, you know, because I just have this strange feeling. If we finish this adventure, it's going to be 10 years from now. Are you kidding me? But what an adventure it will be. Final Fantasy VII is good, but it, and it's it's important, but it's not that good. That it, that it, we need to have this going well, maybe on. Maybe you could just wait 10 years and play the complete edition. I won't be able to resist that. You know that. <laughs> Number five. It appears that Fantasy Star Online 2 will eventually come to Western PlayStation 4s after all. 
There was some confusion on this point, not only because the long-awaited localization was revealed at Microsoft's E3 press conference, but because subsequent chatter about it only talked about Xbox One and PC ports. However, website Push Square reports on an episode of the Giant Bombcast in which Xbox head Phil Spencer said, quote, yes, it will end up on all platforms. The point was to have Sega on our stage before uh, since it's been a while, end quote. How long it will be before the PS4 version sees the light of day is, of course, another issue entirely. Fantasy Star Online 2 originally came to PC in 2012, Vita in 2013, and PS4 in 2016, but only in Japan. A Switch port came out in 2018, but was also relegated to Japan. The Xbox One and PC ports are due out in North America in spring of 2020. Good guy Phil Spencer revealing his own timed exclusive as being a PlayStation game. So that was unexpected. I mean, appreciate the honesty. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of assumed that that would be the case. They're, I didn't. They're sitting on PS4 code. They're, they're yeah. obviously going to use it. I, I, I was, I thought that that was like a thing where they were just trying to be dickheads. Nah, yeah. but apparently not. Phil Spencer's not a dickhead. Not Phil, not Phil Spencer himself, but Xbox. Why wouldn't you want to take Fantasy Star or something? I would take as much off of PlayStation as possible, personally. I but maybe it doesn't matter. I wouldn't take Fantasy Star. Yeah, maybe Fantasy. Well, that <laughs> one. Fantasy see, Star is like one of those things. It's like, eh, we'll take it, I guess, for like a little bit. That's not, let's be real, like, that's not, like, a huge thing. No, by the time it comes out, it will have been eight years, I think, since it came out. I played Fantasy Star Universe online, like, I think on the Xbox 360. I would go, I would log on every New Year's to see the people who would be on on New Year's. To celebrate Just New to Year's? see who yeah. would be, who the hell would be there celebrating a new year on Fantasy Star Universe online on the Xbox 360. But think it was about, always a fascinating group of people. But take it a step further. You are also online. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so <laughs> that might make you even worse. There were there were some sex chats going on there. It was wild. I have no doubt. I have no doubt about that. Also, probably, as we said earlier, people dressing in dog suits looking to fuck other people dressed in dog suits. Oh, man, I was hoping to avoid that for the rest of the podcast, but too, alas. Too bad. Number six, according to Kotaku, Amazon Game Studios let dozens of employees know that they will have 60 days to find a new job internally or they will be laid off. This came alongside the cancellation of several unannounced games. In a comment released to Kotaku, Amazon said, quote, Amazon Game Studios is reorganizing some of our teams to to. I don't know. I, I wrote this. I must have miswrote this because it doesn't make any actual sense. Uh, nonetheless, it was <laughs> nonetheless, it was it's this really lengthy I didn't write all of it either. It's this lengthy nonsense about them reorganizing and moving assets around. It's the same thing you hear every time someone gets laid off. What is that? What, what, is, the, what, is, what do you think that happened behind closed doors to, to make this happen? Was Nothing. This like a, that's, I think that's the problem. Nothing happened. Nothing happened? You don't think it was like, uh, hey, let's get into the console business. Let's try and, let's try and overthrow Xbox and PlayStation. And then well, Stadia came in. And they were like, oh. Well, <laughs> wait. Amazon Game Studios began in 2014 but hasn't done anything of note since launch, even though it hired exceptional talent at the start, talent that has largely since migrated elsewhere. Only one Amazon Game Studios developed game, the Grand Tour game, based on the Amazon TV show, ever made it to PlayStation 4 earlier this year, running on Amazon's proprietary engine, Lumberyard. The two games mentioned in Amazon's statement, Crucible and New World, are both PC games. So basically what their statement said is that they're concentrating on Crucible and New World. I think they're both MMOs. And Amazon Game Studios was founded and was really... I mean, it was attracting incredible talent. It was getting people from all over the place. And they've done jack shit. So it really remains to be seen. They wanted to make an engine. They made one. But it doesn't seem like anyone's using it. And I don't know. I don't know what the future is for Amazon Game Studios. Yeah. It goes to show you that these companies don't belong in everything. Yeah. Number seven. The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt has passed a significant sales milestone. According to website Push Square, the game has surpassed a staggering 20 million units sold. As The Witcher 3's title suggests... Developer CD Projekt Red also developed two other games in the franchise. However, The Witcher 3's cumulative sales represent more than half of the entire franchise's sell-through. 
The Witcher 3 initially uh, initially launched on PS4 and elsewhere in May of 2015. CD Projekt is currently working on Cyberpunk 2077, which is due out, as we said earlier, in 2020. I got to give this game another shot, man. I don't know. I don't know what the hell. I think I, I played it for a little bit and then I just it didn't grab me. Something. It's very big. It's very deep. Yeah, I liked it a lot. But when I was 40 or 50 hours in, I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was kind of I can see. Thing. I could see that. Number eight. We almost got to live in a reality where Fortnite never happened oh. or was never released anyway. Word comes by way of Polygon, which relayed an interview from Game Informer with Rod Ferguson, who leads the Xbox-owned studio, The Coalition, the team behind the Gear series. Before going to The Coalition, Ferguson worked at Epic Games, the minds behind Fortnite. Indeed, when Microsoft purchased Gears of War from Epic in the early part of 2014, Ferguson kind of sort of went with the IP. Quote, if I had stayed at Epic, I would have canceled Fortnite. Before I left, I had tried to cancel Fortnite. When I was Save the World... That was a project that just had some challenges. And as a director of production at the time, that game would have not passed my bar for something that we should continue to keep going. That game you love, that worldwide sensation would not ha- exist had I stayed at Epic. I wouldn't I, w- I wouldn't have admitted that. I don't mean either. I think that's a, that was a weird one to admit. Yeah. That you uh, a lot of people would have uh, people passed on Minecraft. Well, by it's the not way. Even I mean, the, there, there are stories of pretty much every major publisher passing on. Minecraft. Oh, not because it would have been a mistake. It's It's more to me like. You could have saved you. You could have saved oh, us, really, because I mean, I think it makes him look like at, completely out of touch. I mean, it also does, but I also like I look at this and I'm like, why, why couldn't you just try a little harder? It's funny because if I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious a little bit, you know, obviously, like Fortnite's obviously successful and like there's a lot of people working on it and that's great, but like <laughs> there's a part of me that's just like, ah. Oh. No, totally. What could have been? It's funny that, yeah, if Epic never sold Gears, because he basically went with Gears to to kind of shepherd that transfer, yeah. then yeah, we that it's funny that that deal is the reason we have Fortnite today. It's interesting. It's a butterfly effect. Number nine, on the heels of the recently released Contra Anniversary Collection comes word of a new Contra game, according to website Gamatsu. Publisher Konami is prepping a twin-stick third-person shooter called Contra Rogue Corps, and it's coming to PS4 and elsewhere on September 24th later this year at a double-A price of $39.99. The game will reportedly allow for local co-op in addition to online multiplayer with up to three other players. There will be PvE and PvP options and multiple playable characters, including a panda bear. But by the way, you've got to look at the panda bear, the screenshots of the panda bear using like a Gatling gun. Good stuff. Not surprisingly, the version of Contra relies on gear and loot grind systems, and there will be no microtransactions, according to Konami. So they're basically making a loot grind Contra game, which, by the way, kind of makes a lot of sense. Isn't a bad idea. No, that game's all about just like killing things for points anyway. Not a bad idea. Maybe a little late. Not a bad idea. I'm interested to see who's developing it. I haven't been able to figure that out. Are there like visuals of it? Yeah. Out? Oh like, yeah. There, I told you. There's a screen of the panda bear using a gatling. What does it look like? Is it is it like a classic looking thing, or is it no, more like two point five D, or what's no, the deal? No, it's no, it's a three D twin stick shooter, hmm. kind of like Dead Nation, but probably a little little higher quality than hmm. that graphically. Hmm. Yeah, I love twin stick shooters. Love them. Love them. So I guess uh, I gotta. Some of them are great. Some you know what it looks like? It looks like Alien Nation. The housemark game Alienation. Okay. That came out in 2016. That's not bad. Number 10. In case you're sad that E3 2019 is over and can't wait for E3 2020, there's good news. You can already circle the dates on your calendar. As is tradition, the ESA revealed next E3's dates on a banner above the exit from the LA Convention Center on the final day of the show. E3 2020 will run from June 9th through June 11th of next year, which, as always, is a Tuesday through Friday or Tuesday through Thursday. I'm sorry. With next gen promising to begin in the fall of 2020, chances are E3 2020 will be a far grander affair than E3 2019. That was always the greatest troll. So for people that have never been to E3, if you go on to E3 on Thursday and then you leave, 
there's a banner above the exit that has E3's dates for next year. And it was always a joke amongst everyone because it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, all we want to do is get the fuck out of here. And now you're already telling us that there's going to be another one next year at these dates. Yeah. Greatest troll job of, of ever. I love that. Chris, finally a wrap up. Number 11. The PlayStation blog reports that the Lord of the Rings adventure card game is PS4 bound on August 8th. That dungeon crawling RPG Torchlight 2 comes to PS4 on September 3rd. And that hack and slash title Conan Chop Chop is also coming to PS4 on September 3rd. That game looks really cool. Publisher NIS America has revealed that strategy RPG Disgaea 4 Complete is coming to PS4 this fall. Disgaea 4 first came to PS3 in 2011 and was later ported to PS Vita in 2014. Website Gamatsu revealed a ton of PlayStation related news, including the following. MMORPG Black Desert is coming to PS4 at some point later in 2019. RPG Hero Land is coming to PS4 this fall. Strategy game Empire of Sin is PS4 bound in the spring of 2020. RTS game Commandos 2 HD Remaster is coming to PS4 by the end of 2019. RTS game Praetorians HD Remaster is coming to PS4 by the end of 2019. Top-down shooter Police Stories is coming to PS4 on September 19th. Action game Trigger Witch is coming to PS4 in 2020. Action RPG Code Vein is coming to PS4 on September 27th. Crafting-based RPG A Ground is coming to PS4 in early 2020. And visual novel One Night Stand is coming to PS4 at some point this summer. And finally, a Dark Crystal strategy RPG called Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Tactics was revealed at Nintendo's E3 press conference and will come to PS4 sometime later this year. The game is naturally based on the classic 1982 film The Dark Crystal and more directly the Age of Resistance Netflix prequel series. I saw that. That was that, that actually looked uh, kind of neat. Looks right up my alley. Yeah. Although that movie is terrifying. I've been talking a lot about that movie lately with my brother. <laughs> actually, Ruben Barrett wrote into us on Patreon and says, Hi guys, I know this is a PlayStation podcast, but I just wanted to know your thoughts on the Dark Crystal Tactics game. It looks like the most Colin-centric game ever created. And why hasn't there been more Dark Crystal games? Well, it is a PlayStation podcast. It was revealed at Nintendo Direct. It is coming to PS4, so we're happy to talk about it here. For sure. Looks awesome. Dark Crystal is fucking frightening, dude. I think that people... Dagan, my brother, talks a lot about this. Like That, that movie is really has no joy in it. It's really... <laughs> it's very dire. It's really weird. Like It's a children's movie from a different era. There's no way that that movie would ever see the fucking light of day today. No, for sure. And it was also from a weird period in Disney's history where... They weren't doing very well. So there's also that. Yeah. Anyway, Ruben, appreciate your input. Chris, lots of games coming out this week. Actually, not that many, but enough. Enough. Def Let's say enough games are coming out this yeah, week. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a smorgasbord here for those of you who are looking for something to play if, as if there wasn't already enough. As tradition demands, Chris, you go first. All righty. Another site comes to PS4. A teenager who has lost her sight, Kit, and a mysterious cat, Hodge, Team up in a surreal fantasy adventure into the unexpected, both together and separately, each using their own unique uh, talents to explore compelling environments and solve intriguing puzzles. Sounds intriguing. So that's a thing. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night yeah, comes to PS4. Remember, the Vita version was canceled because they fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Egavania returns. Play as Miriam, an orphan scarred by an alchemist's curse, which slowly crystallizes her body. To save humanity and herself in the process, she must fight through the castle and defeat the summoner, Gebel. Or Jebel, actually, it really is, because I think I heard his name in the prequel game. Can't fucking wait! Excited? Now, I haven't gotten my code yet. Apparently, they go out tomorrow. Full video review of this coming, for sure. Maybe a Let's Play, and the trophies are already up, and I've tweeted them out. Oh, boy. Bring Them Home comes to PS4. Bring Them Home is an exciting puzzle game in which you must rescue little astronauts by being clever and imaginative. Since each astronaut has unique abilities, complex puzzle worlds must be mastered to find a way out. Explore interesting locations, activate and use different mechanisms uh, to bring the brave heroes home. 
Now, that sounds very realistic because in the real world, every astronaut also has unique abilities. One's an astrophysicist. One's a botanist. (laughs) One's a geologist. One's a Navy pilot. You see? Very realistic. Very classic. Citizens of Space comes to PS4. Representatives of the Galactic Federation, thank you for having me here tonight to celebrate Earth's acceptance into this noble organization. It is an absolute honor to act as the ambassador of Earth. A most honorable role in. What's that? Earth is missing? Oh, no. This, I think, is the sequel to Citizens of Earth, which was a role-playing game that came out a few years ago. I think this is a sequel to it. Well, that's neat. Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled comes to PS4. Crash is back in the driver's seat. Get ready to go fur throttle. I hate that. With Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. It's the authentic CTR experience plus a whole lot more. Now fully remastered and revved up to the max. The stakes are high and the competition is fierce. It's the CTR you love now kicked into the highest gear. Mm. I am screaming on the inside. I have requested a code for you. Hopefully that will come shortly. Crystal Crisis comes to PS4. An all-star cast of heroes has gathered to test their metal in Crystal Crisis, a cute and chaotic new color-matching combat game. Crystal Crisis is presented like a one-on-one fighting game in which players attack by by arranging colorful fallen crystals and clearing them from the screen. It's the ultimate puzzle battle throwdown. So it's like Candy Crush, I guess? I guess so. Siberian, the time-traveling warrior, (laughs) comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Get the sword of ages. Travel to the future and try try to live long enough to brag about it. Drawing inspiration from old-school platformers, Siberian, the time-traveling warrior, is an arcade title with some beat-em-up gameplay qualities. I think this is another one of those cheap platinum games that I refuse to play, but I could be wrong. It's a shame. Judgment comes to PS4, the much-maligned Judgment. From the team that brought you the Yakuza series comes Judgment, a gritty tale of disgraced attorney Takayuki Yagami in his quest for redemption. Haunted by his past, he takes up arms as a private detective, clawing his way through Kamer... What is this? Camarocho's underground crime network to investigate a string of grisly murders. Again, remember, this is a Yakuza spinoff. This is the one this where the, the one guy with... did a bunch of coke and had to be removed from the game. It's interesting that a, this is a game about a dude redeeming himself and they fired the dude. It's <laughs> kind of awesome. Leisure Suit Larry, Wet Dreams Don't Dry. Great name. Mm-hmm. Comes to PS4. Uh, Larry's new adventure takes him whatever the route or twist of fate from the end of the 80s directly into the 21st century and wow how how the world has changed i'll be interested to see that the last leadership larry was the only game my brother dagan ever worked on because he's, he's an animator he worked on that last oh, one. how neat luna comes to ps4 and psvr a bird's peaceful summer slumber is disturbed by the majestic call of a mysterious owl enticed to swallow the last piece of the waning moon why Bird is blown far away from its Golden Gate home. Unscramble celestial puzzles and create miniature musical worlds. Luna is an interactive fable about learning by the light of unexpected mistakes. Don't eat the moon. Yeah. It's a lot. It's gross. Mars Alive comes to PSVR. Mars Alive is a survival PSVR game in in the open world. After a terrifying explosion, the whole colony was destroyed. As an astronaut staying on Mars, explore the planet and collect resources to survive in this brutal world. Reveal the truth behind uh, the civilization on this red planet, which is full of mystery and conspiracy. Hmm. Mini Mech Mayhem comes to PSVR. Join your little mech buddy to plan a flawless strategy then marvel at just how wrong you were. Not to worry, play some power actions to get your team back on track or dare to trust in your instincts and crafty skills and pull off a stunning win. Project Lux comes to PSVR. Our story takes place in a court trial set in a futuristic world where most humans have cyber brains. Fair enough. 
The defendant on trial is an agent who coordinates with artists to create the data for cyber brains to interact with people's emotions. That's a loaded sentence. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, ju- <laughs> the jury has to investigate what really happened by reliving the memory data of the defendant. Sounds kind of neat, I guess. Yeah, a lot of PSVR stuff. That's a, that's a common sci-fi trope, actually. Yes. It's kind of interesting to see it in a VR game. Slumball comes to PSVR. Slumball is a physics-based paddle paddle ball game with an objective to collect as many points as possible. Slumball is a fun way to exercise and gain coordination without even realizing it. Underworld Ascendant comes to PS4. Enter the Stygian Abyss. A dangerous, highly interactive dungeon world. Mix and match dozens of combat, stealth, and magic skills to develop your own unique style of play. Set out on more than 70 quests. Earn rewards and unlock skills. Become the Ascendant. Hmm. And finally, a game I've been long awaiting that I will take the PSVR out for. Vacation Simulator comes to PSVR. Welcome to the Vacation Simulator, a rough approximation of vacation inspired by real human, not jobbing. Brought to you by the same robots behind the job simulator. Reallocate your bandwidth and get ready to splash s'more, s'more, snowball and selfie your way to optimal relaxation. I absolutely love Job Simulator. So it's a great VR game. It's really, really funny. So I'm really excited about Vacation Sim. That's all the games. Anything here that strikes you? I guess Crash Team oh, Racing, obviously. Of 100%. And for me, obviously, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. So this is a good week for Chris and I. Yeah. And if you want a PSVR, there's some options for you as well. Angie's list is now Angie. And we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Chris, as is our tradition, let's end with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Reader mail. Remember, patreon.com slash Collins last stand to submit your inquiries. Sergio DeVivo wrote in and said, hey, guys, Colin, I've been following you since 2012, and I've seen you falling in and out of love with Final Fantasy. Now, I know you guys touched upon it last episode, but I wanted to go in deeper. Is Square Enix finally righting their wrongs? Is Final Fantasy VII Remake living up to our incredibly high expectations? Almost don't dare to believe it, but their E3 showing was absolutely incredible. What else do they need to do, in your opinion, to exceed our expectations? P.S. Straight as an arrow, but you two make me doubt it. We've turned this gentleman gay. Look at that. It is possible. Good for you, Sergio. Appreciate you being honest. It's like I've said in the past. I think I'm bisexual, but I am not sexually attracted to men. Right. I just think that men can be attractive. So I don't know that that's bisexual, but it's something. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, you might as well. It's not straight. I'll say that much. (laughs) You qualify for the for the rainbow flag, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but give me a. I'm sure they would love that if I flew the <laughs> rainbow flag. <laughs> well, because isn't well, no, Q is queer, but isn't there another Q now that's questioning? What? There's like a really like LBGTQ. There's like a bunch of other letters now. So Q square. I I A. I think I'm not even making this up. No, and yeah. There's a Q at the end, I think, which is questioning. Listen. So whatever. I think I actually can fly the flag. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. But I won't. <laughs> so Sergio. We did talk a little bit about Final Fantasy VII Remake last week, Mm -hmm. and I I don't want to delve too deeply into that again. Just to reiterate, I think it looks phenomenal. And the way that they balance the ATB system that Final Fantasy is so well known for, active time battle, with these Devil May Cry or this like Ninja Gaiden type mashy combat looks really fun to me. It looks appealing to me, honestly. Yeah, and Chris hates role-playing games. Although Final Fantasy VII was 
one of the few that you actually delved into. Yeah, but I, I do. I, it's the turn-based thing. It's like very there are very few games that do turn-based well enough for me to really enjoy. And it looks like I could definitely get into it as long as there's some element of real-time combat to it. That's why I like Child of Light so much. Because there is like an element of like real-time to it. It's but, not quite the same way, but... But what, what I guess ATB is... Like Final Fantasy VII is real-time too, on its own. It's it's. I understand what you're saying, yeah. but just so people don't jump in... Like we said last week, Final Fantasy IV introduced ATB, which is basically a hybrid of turn-based Dragon Quest-type combat where you can let the screen just stay there forever. Yeah. And nothing happens. Or everyone's speed is filling up at a different time and you go as soon as you can. So I always, I liked that, I like that kind of combat because it's not like Dragon Quest where like you can just go through the menus for 20 minutes. Like if you, you're going to get fucking wrecked if you don't, if you don't move. Like they're just going to keep going. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So I'm curious how the how the combat's going to balance out because I really, I love how you have to earn access to the menu basically in the game. Yeah. That's cool as I think shit. It's, I think it's a neat idea. Like you can't sure. just heal whenever you want. You can't just cast a spell. You have to earn it. And I think that that's a really clever and by the way, way more clever than I thought they were going to be in terms of whatever they were going to do. Oh yeah, 100%. So I'll say that 100%. Now Sergio, in terms of Square Enix, I think that this is a company much like Capcom that is experiencing a renaissance right now and a resurgence. Not only with Final Fantasy 15, not only with Kingdom Hearts 3, which people really loved and sold really well, but just generally speaking, Octopath Traveler, the Tokyo RPG Factory mm-hmm. games, they have all their Western developers publishing great games like Tomb Raider. They're publishing, they used to publish Hitman. So I think Square Enix is actually, you know, Dragon Quest. I think that they're looking great. Now I'm a little confused about Studio Istolia and what was going on with, with Baba. I'm a little concerned about Tokyo RPG Factory's next game since the last game they put out was not great. And obviously the rollout of this next Final Fantasy. Right, of course, is also a confusing point. I'm, I'm at, just when they start talking about Final Fantasy 16, which is probably going to be next year or the year after when they start talking about it, that's just going to add a whole nother layer of fucking nonsense. Yeah. But in the meantime, we should enjoy it because I really think Square Enix is looking great. And I think that Capcom is too. Those are the two Japanese publishers that have really turned things around, especially Capcom, actually. Chris, the next inquiry comes from Bart Jakaza, who wrote in and said, hey, CNC, hope you two are well. This question is more so for Chris, since he's so excited for the new Crash Team Racing. Do you think this game has the chance to overthrow Mario Kart 8 Deluxe as the best kart racer on the market? CTR is looking to be fantastic with tons of characters, customization for racers and carts, a proper story mode, and more content coming down the line like new characters, including Spyro. Curious to hear your thoughts on how this game is shaping... What does this say? Shape... I think it's a mistake. All right, it's shaping up to be on the eve of its release, but it says Shape 8 NG2 Up. Did I do that? I, I don't know. It might be like a weird. That's that's weird. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that don't, means. Bart, you know that I'm easily confused. You can't be throwing <laughs> shit like that in when I'm reading. Chris, will CTR overtake Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is widely considered the finest kart well, racer? Well, let me let me just say right off the bat that uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is, isn't even close to the best kart. I think even Team Sonic Racing is better than Mario, Kart, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. By the way, did you see Team? Did you see Sonic the Hedgehog's tweet last week to, to Polygon or whatever? No, wait. What? So Polygon put... Wrote or was Kotaku wrote a random story about like why can this person snowboard barefoot but Sonic doesn't? Oh right, for and the Mario like, and Sonic of the Olympic Games. Yeah, thing? yeah, that was what it was. Yeah, and then they were like, stop looking at our asking to look at our feet or something like that, and it got retweeted like fifty thousand times, which was like, Sonic's- this is why you don't tweet. Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog's Twitter account is amazing. Oh my god, I'm, I am hor- I hate Sonic and I'm horrified to ever. I will never say anything. No, on that never Twitter say again. anything. But not on Twitter anyway. No. But yeah, I don't know. I, I I haven't played it yet, really. I played a demo at GameStop, but it's you could tell it was like an older build and the feel wasn't quite right. 
as far as I am aware, that's a really old build and it's not even close to like what it feels like now. As long as that, if, if this new CTR is as close to the original CTR, because the, the controls in that game are impeccable still to this day. It's better than like most kart racers on the market. If it's, if it retains that control, then without a doubt, yes. But I can't say for sure if it will, because I haven't played it. We'll see you in a week. We'll find out. We'll have thoughts not will, only on CTR, but on Bloodstain. We're going to have lots of game talk, new game talk. Oh, 100%. Week. Yeah. Really excited to see what Chris thinks of that one. Ryan Goris wrote in, not to be confused with his distant cousin, Zach Morris. He said, yo, guys. Uh, Chris is shaking his head. Chris is like. That took the wind out of me. Right I know. There. Chris is like, needs to go to bed. <laughs> he says, yo, guys, with Xbox announcing the last wave of backwards compatible games on Xbox One, do you think PlayStation will do something similar with the PS5 and release titles in waves? Or will everything work day one on the PS5? <laughs> That's hilarious. They just figured out how to get your name changed. <laughs> and that doesn't even work properly. You're not going to get every single game that wasn't backwards compatible compatible on PS4 working day one on PS5. I'm no, sorry. There's two different things here. Are we going to get every PS4 game working on PS5 immediately? Yes. Yes. 100%. Absolutely. PS3 games, which is kind of like what the backwards compatible thing on Microsoft is working on right now on their iteration Xbox 360. I don't think so. Uh, I really don't know that it's ever going to happen. I, I got to be honest with you. I, 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 we've talked about it, right, Chris? They need to build a PS3 emulator that will run in the yeah. back end of these things, just like PS2 ran a PS1 emulator. And by the way, PS3 also ran a PS1 emulator. And, so, and, and also, by the way, P, the PS3 emulator is like, even on even in the PC community, one of the most like unstable thing. Like it's for some reason, it's it's the architecture of the PS3, the way that thing was designed, the way games run and and reference the system requirements of that system is just like really confusing to a lot of PCs. There are some emulators, uh, PS3 emulators that work kind of okay, but it, not even close to acceptable to ship on a main console as like a feature. You know, I saw Uncharted running. It's like we got Uncharted running, and it's running at like actually eight frames a second and it's like i mean you did the cell is no joke ma'am yeah I don't, I don't know what they did but i i would expect that at some point you will but like not by launch not by launch there's two things or there are two things that need to happen on ps5 that they need to figure out the first thing is ps1 games now ps1 classics are currently tethered only to ps3 to vita and i think the psp although mm. i don't think you can even access them on psp anymore or you can't buy them you can't buy them so they need to figure out how to gain access to the PS1 Classics library. They don't have to put trophies on them or anything like that, but that's one thing that doesn't run on PS4 for some reason. The other thing that they need to figure out more keenly is PS3. Now, PlayStation Now deals with PS3 by streaming, and that might be the only solution because Xbox One is so impressive to me from the perspective of they were able to engineer backwards compatibility into it when it wasn't supposed to be able to be ha happen. They, they fixed it in, with firmware. I'm confused. Now, we make fun of Sony's engineers all the time, and maybe rightfully so, but I don't know why they haven't been able to figure out a similar solution. And I wonder if they're just holding it now so that on the PS5, they can basically say, listen, this thing is natively going to read PS4 games, natively read the PSN from PS4. And it's also natively going to read the PS3 games and PS3's PSN as well. That would be something that I would hold to my chest until it was time. Otherwise, I just don't well, think it's actually going to happen. So this whole backwards compatible shift with Microsoft happened like years ago at this point, you know, like holding it for like a next gen years ago seems a bit, I don't know. Like if they could do it, they probably would have done it just to get a leg yeah, up. Maybe. You know? It's also possible that PS4 and PS5 being so similar in architecture, PS4 simply can't run what PS5 is going to be able to run. And so maybe they have a solution, but it simply can't work in this machine. Maybe that's also possible. You know, I, I don't, 
We'll yeah, see. I, I we'll know. see. I'm. I would temper your expectations. Do not expect backwards compatible. But by the way, if they announce it, you can be surprised. You can yeah. be pleasantly surprised. But, Very pleasant surprise. But <laughs> keep keep expectations real. They figured out PS2. Like there's a ton of PS2 games on PS4 that even have trophies. So that's all solved. That's yeah. And then the PS3, you know, PS4 games on now are now being downloadable to your console. So that's another thing that's, that's solved. Good. So they're they're getting there. But it's so weird that one and three. Yeah, one are just not work. accessible. Yeah, it's the, the weirdest thing. Why is two available but not one? What, yeah, what, two what works is for that's two works for some reason. Baffling. And there's and by the way, it's not only Sony that's releasing their games on PS2. Other third parties, especially Rockstar, have released all of their games on PS2. The PS2 games on PS4. If with trophies, if they put the PS1 classics on on on, if they put that library on PS4, I would not stop playing it. That library was so good. We'll see. Ah. I think there's a lot of promise here, but I also think Sony has to just look at it and see, like, is this worth our time? Like, is I would really be interested to see Microsoft's really winning with the backwards compatibility movement. I think it's really fucking cool what they've done. But I would also be curious to see the numbers like this is a thing that they have to do to bring attention to themselves and, and give their players value. But I also wonder on the back end, is anyone play, are it, like Two human was the big game that was making rounds because yeah, the most recent one that it was that's, so shocking. Right. So for people that don't know, Two human is this old Silicon Knights game. Terrible. It's really bad. It was supposed to be on PS1 and it got pushed all the way to Xbox 360. It was originally supposed to be a trilogy and then the first one didn't sell. And anyway, uh, it all went away and Silicon Knights got sued and all by Epic. It was this whole disaster. Yeah. Anyway, Two Human came out and I would love to see Microsoft's back end. It's like, any, who the fuck is playing Two Human on the Xbox One? I'm sure people are for some reason. Well, if you're on Xbox, but they, they, they did recently like uh, they also did the, the entire Splinter Cell trilogy as backwards compatible too, which is awesome. But I think I think I don't think it's necessarily like let's get eyes on us thing or like that. I don't think it's necessarily a feature that matters to like a lot of people, but it's, it, I think it's the general principle of if you invest in Xbox, you have your entire library available to you just because a new system comes out or just because that hardware is outdated. Doesn't mean you lose the ability to play that shit, which is the, I think the strength of PC you bought. A, if you buy a game, you bought a game on PC in 2007, you still have it. You can still play it. It's still operable with a lot of people still playing it. And I think that's the draw of it. I agree. So, We'll Tyler see. Green, Chris, wrote in, said, hey, Colin and Chris, with Microsoft playing nice with both Sony and Nintendo, along with them moving into streaming with xCloud, do you see Xbox eventually becoming more of an online platform than a console? If this is the case, could we see Xbox stuff on PlayStation? Consumers could pay for the Game Pass and xCloud services, but have the option to play on Sony's console. Thank you both for your hard work each week. I said last week, Chris, I'll be interested to hear what your input is in a little bit more detail, but I think this is kind of the inevitable future for Microsoft or for Xbox. And I don't think that they really even care. I think that eventually I said it before I said it last week. I think you're I really do feel confident that you will eventually see Xbox games on PlayStation. I don't know if that's going to happen in the next few years, but I think that that's in the future. That's in the cards. And, you know, like I said last week, I think too these conversations at Microsoft at least years ago have happened. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they got anywhere or anything like that, I only heard it with Master Chief Collection. This was when I was still at IGN. Yeah. But these conversations have happened. And I think that it shows that Microsoft is open minded enough to see where their bread would be most buttered, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like if like it's Xbox, always in software anyway, like for yeah. all these companies, it's always software that's making the bulk of the money. So it makes sense yeah. to have that software as readily available as as possible to as many people as possible. It's a risk if they don't see because. The 30% cut that you get on every game sold on your hardware is incredible amount of revenue coming in, right? Mm. For people that don't know, if you sell Game X on PlayStation 4, Sony gets 30%. It doesn't matter if you're Ubisoft. It doesn't matter if you're me. Well, right? that's why you have it on the Xbox and on PC 
through the X, that Xbox app that they have. Right, exactly. That's exactly that's why. So they have to circumvent it, but I am but what I'm saying is, is that I'm concerned about their ability to lose for Xbox to lose the revenue from their own 30% cuts by getting rid of hardware. That's the thing that they have to balance out because mm -hmm. they can go all in on their first party games and their second party games sell them everywhere. They make lots of money there, but if they don't have hardware, then all of the third party money goes to Nintendo and all the third party money goes to PlayStation yeah, and I none think, of it goes to them. I think I don't know. I think we're still going to have Xbox consoles for a while. Honestly, I just think they're going to be less of a focus and they're going to be more of like a, hey, you can play it on this thing and it's probably the best place to play this specific thing. But ultimately, if you have a PC that you can run it on, you're still in our ecosystem anyway. So why? Who cares? You know, they're much more flexible. I would love to see how inflexible they'd be if they won this generation that I would love to see that alternate mm. reality. I'd love to see the companies in totally opposite places and just see what they're doing right now. You know, yeah, because I don't think you would have seen this heavy push of ubiquity of crossplay of all those kinds of things with Microsoft. I just don't think you would have. Why? Why would you no. have done that? No, definitely not. If they had sold 100 million Xbox ones, then so I'd love to see. Like, I really think Sony would be in much worse shape, actually, in second place than Microsoft is. Oh, yeah, because they have more hands in more places anyway. Like even since like 2006, they've been in the PC space. And they're also just incredibly annoying as well. <laughs> Sam Christensen wrote in and said, greetings, guys, from rainy Glasgow, Scotland. Long time, first time. I wanted to write in after listening to your con conversation briefly in episode 50 about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I have seen many call it one of the best AC games, but for me, it was far too bloated. Much more in line with the anecdotal evidence Colin was talking about last week. To progress in the story, you would have to level up significantly in between main quests by doing repetitive story missions that put a halt on the flow of the story or by buying a permanent XP booster on the in-game store. This is where my major problem lies with the game. I have been a fan of AC since the beginning, and I've always gotten to the end of the story in every game up until Odyssey, where I just couldn't continue after 25 hours. My question is, should I expect that this is now the trajectory of AC going forward and that I need to get used to it? Or is there something still to be said about more concise, faster paced storylines where the side missions are optional? Extra is not essential to progressing through the story. Keep up the amazing work and thanks for making my commutes enjoyable. So, Chris, this is something we talked about, actually, a while back. Well, we talked about this last week in the sense that I heard that Assassin's Creed Odyssey is too big. Now, I got a lot of people writing me saying that's true. Now, we got another guy writing to us saying that that is true for him as well. But how do you feel about Odyssey flipping the script on people a little bit? See, I would be a little frustrated about that if I was an Assassin's Creed fan, because all the Assassin's Creed games, you know, I platinum AC2. I played a bunch, you know, not a bunch, but a few other AC games seem like they're manageable within 20 to 30 hours. And that seems to. But then they suddenly went mass open world and Odyssey is huge and they're selling a bunch of shit to make it shorter. What do you think they, where do you think they go from here? Because I think they keep doing this because it seems to me that regardless of these problems, that this Assassin's Creed game, Odyssey, is the best received Assassin's Creed game no, since two, probably. Yeah, sorry, you're gonna have to get used to this because yeah. this, is, this is like the most positive buzz that AC has ever had, even with this negative attention, you know? Even with this whole, even with that whole loot box thing that happened, like the whole experience bonus thing. Even when that was like a big thing, it still wasn't nearly as big as anything that was happening to like EA at the time, <laughs> you know? So like, yeah, I think this is the probably the roadmap for a future AC game. So uh, I don't know. I would assume so. Although you'll probably get fewer of them, which is good. That's true. Because that team is working on, uh, what is it, Gods and Monsters now? I think some of them are. It's, it's unclear. I don't understand how Ubisoft's ecosystem works. It's They're, confusing. They, they have some studios that like massive and stuff that are 
like external and we know them they work they make the division for instance but i don't know how like the ubisoft titled companies are integrated with each other sometimes you see like ubisoft toronto ubisoft montreal and then like they're all so i don't know i don't want to say for sure but i will say that assassin's creed odyssey sold exceptionally well there's a lot of content in it which is a turn off to some people but to other people it's a huge turn on and we talked about it last week chris but their story or the thing they released at E3, the free story mode update, where you can make your own stories with your oh, own. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can go on PC and, like, make your own branching dialogue and put them on the map and stuff. That's fucking cool as shit. It is that, really cool. That is one of the coolest user-generated content integrations I've ever seen. And user-generated content's not new. In fact, the infamous franchise is one of the first console games that really went down that rabbit hole. And it was so simplistic compared to this game. Yeah. So I thought that that was a really, I wouldn't do it. But I think it's really cool that people can do <laughs> no, that's that. That's a cool option. That you can go on PC, you have all, they show you, it looks like Game Maker, the literal branching narratives. Yeah. And that looks cool. It's incredibly unnecessary, but I like it. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Adam Bayes wrote in and said, what is the difference between Microsoft announced cloud gaming in which your system can be the server and Sony remote play? Watching that announcement and the praise it was getting for its future focus, I was wondering why this is different than remote play, which has existed since PS4 launch and works quite well. Allowing new to new allowing new, I don't know what that means, to play and stream my PS4 to my Vita and now iPhones. I got you. What are you saying? This is fucking completely illiterate. Adam, <laughs> I got you nasty B able to ASF to more devices and not use your console as host. But that is basically PS Now. Yeah, I have no idea. I think Sony obviously needs to reduce monthly costs for PS Now, but the functionality is already there and remote play costs nothing. Adam. Adam. <laughs> I love you. We've read your questions before. I recognize your name. We need proper punctuation and grammar in these things. We all understand each other. Now, I should have read it. It just short circuits me after a while. Like, yeah, I I'm like, it. I don't know like, what I'm doing. Uh, is it me? Because usually I, what I do when I grab questions is I just go through and I quickly scan them. And I'm like, this looks like something we want to talk about. This looks like something right, usually right. works out. Adam, you're making me second guess everything. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what the difference is other than it just seems like xCloud is. Well, uh, remote play is not cloud gaming. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the major difference. They're just two different technologies. Yeah, the, I'm, my assumption is that your Xbox is now a server that's linked to other things to, that kind of, like, uses power from other... Like, the, the whole thing, it's, like, it's almost like a node, kind of. Whereas, you know, PS Now is also... It's just kind of, like, streaming from one device to another, which is also possible on Xbox and has been for a while. You could stream, I think, your Xbox One games to your PC or, like, vice versa. And it's like, no, I don't use it because it's, it's got the same problems that Remote Play does. Like, it barely works on my internet connection. But I think the the reason why you're seeing a lot of praise for this specifically is because it's it's being talked about in the context of Google Stadia being a part of the conversation. Mm. Like if they just talked about this like five years ago, people would have been like, all right, neat, I guess. But because it's I think it's being viewed in a more of a, a competitive lens now, which is always kind of neat. I think so, too. Hey, kids, do you like latency? <laughs> we'll see. Two more questions. Adrian Garcia wrote in and said, hey, Chris and Colin, hope you gentlemen are well. First time writer. And I used to be a patron, but stopped for a while. But I am back. Welcome back, Adrian. I hope your voyage, wherever else you went, was enjoyable. 
Colin had mentioned that Tales of Arise didn't look like a Tales game, and that is what I thought too. And this is because the character designer for most of the Tales games, Kuzuke Fujishima, isn't part of the game. Instead, there is someone from the God Eater franchise, which I think the game looks more like. This isn't new, though, since Tales of Legendia didn't have Fuji Fujishima, and that game also didn't look like a Tales game to me. My question is, how much does it affect the enjoyment or anticipation of a game where the art style changes, if it does at all? As far as Tales is concerned, we'll talk about other games, but as far as Tales is concerned, it turns me off a little bit, but I'm way more turned off by the direction this series has been taking away from traditional Tales and more towards like an open world or I don't understand like Brazeria and Zesteria just didn't do it for me. So yeah. I'm a little more concerned about that than the art. But Chris, has art changes or art styles ever negatively or positively, I guess, affected your 100 percent? Yeah, I, I think uh, when you're when you're dealing with a uh, franchises or game series that have like a certain iconography or like that have like a certain iconic look to them. It, it does bother me when shit changes for no for what seems to be no reason. It, it'd be like if you were watching, like what they did to Crash Bandicoot in the mid two thousands was insanely unforgivable. They gave him tribal tattoos and like a mohawk. They, they, he looked like a kid out with a high school. It was so insane. Like like why would you do that? That's so stupid. And like Spyro when they made him a Skylander and they scrunched his face up and he looked like a disgusting animal. You know what I mean? It's a huge, I don't know, maybe it's like a really petty thing, but I think it's like a huge deal to, Halo did the same thing when they changed the way everything looked for no reason. It's like, why would you change the look of such an iconic thing? Yeah, it's I think baffling. That's a, like, imagine yeah. if you were watching the original Star Wars trilogy and the third movie, Darth Vader looks like Kylo Ren for no reason. Like, literally no explanation is given. It's like, what? The last design was so much cooler. Why'd you do that? It's weird because Mega Man 11 was is probably the most recent example of this for me where it's 2.5 D. So it's obviously going to look different than the Apex games, but it just didn't look right. And so it didn't feel right. And so it didn't play right. And so it didn't sound right. Yeah, it just, it the, just all devolved. The art of a game is like the only thing that's constantly engaging you like consistently. It, when you're in a cutscene, the gameplay is not, is not engaging you when you're in a, a, a point in the game when there's no music, the soundtrack's not engaging you, but you're always seeing art of the game. So if it looks consistently off 100% of the time, it's going to affect your enjoyment of it, and it, it totally does for me. Maybe that's just like a weird nitpick that I'm obsessed with that a lot of people aren't, but it, it I don't know. To me, it's a huge deal. Well, I mean, it just goes to show you, Chris, like what we know and what we don't know and what strikes us when we see games. Because when that game was announced, I didn't. we were sitting right next to each other. I had no idea it was a Tales game, and yeah. I've played every Tales game. So yeah. that, that certainly goes to show you that something is lost in translation there. But that's what they had to do, I guess. I, I guess maybe that guy, we have Kosuke Fujishima, who I'm not familiar with, but I guess I'm familiar, very familiar with his work. Maybe he went with Baba when they left. I don't know. Just just don't fuck with great designs is, what, is all I'm saying. You know, like I think Spyro proved pretty well that like classic designs just with a modern resolution and a, and a modern, you know, code of like tech around it looks great still. Crash still looks great still. CTR looks beautiful. And they, they changed basically nothing about it. Everything's the same. Just more detail. That's it. Very weird, though, to, I agree, to just change the art. Because it took me right out of it. Yeah. Especially uh, if it's an iconic thing like Tails or, like, or anything. Yeah. Like, I'm a huge Tails fan, and I, 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 I'll play it, but it doesn't, it look, that, to me, Tails of Arise looks very generic now. Tails always had a really popping, colorful, zany art style with these really over-the-top characters. And maybe they'll be in there still, but... That certainly diminishes. It just looks like fucking every other role playing game now, which Tales had its own kind of thing going yeah. on. Yeah. 
everything that a game is kind of like the tone that you get, the feeling that you get when you when you play a game is is a combination of a lot of things put together, and and art is a huge deal, as far as that goes. Phil Crone has the final inquiry, Chris. He says, "Hey guys, now that we know the vast majority of the 2019 release calendar, let's handicap the game of the year discussion." It feels to me like the major Game of the Year awards will shape up to be between Sekiro and Death Stranding with Doom Eternal, Borderlands 3 and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, perhaps picking up some support. Not bad, but I must admit I'm underwhelmed compared to 17 and 18. Anything else worth keeping an eye on? And does anyone else feel like this is a year where an indie can come out of nowhere and take support? Well, yes, because Felsiel Arbiter's Mark is the Game of the Year. <laughs> Chris, what do you think about what do you how let's handicap it? I guess. What do you think will be the Game of the Year? Considering yeah. what we've played so far and what's still to come. So I guess some of the big ones, Resident Evil 2 would be Crackdown 3. Crackdown 3, <laughs> of course. But we have Resident Evil 2. We have Sekiro. Yeah. We have later on Borderlands, like you said, Star Wars, Doom Death Eternal. Stranding, Doom Eternal. And we have like Metro Exodus. We have Rage 2. Modern I guess. Warfare could possibly be a huge surprise. Modern I've been hearing Warfare. a lot of like pretty good things about it, honestly, which is shocking. I gotta um, say, dude, though, out of the games that he listed, I think Doom Eternal is going to be the best one. I think it's, it, for me, it's, uh, I haven't played Doom Eternal yet. I'm anticipating that it's it's going to be a new religion for me. <laughs> but as it stands right now, I think, I think Sekiro is really strong, man. Like, I, I really love the feeling that I got when I played that game. So I, I think it, predicting, based on what I know now, I'm going to say it's, it's probably Sekiro for me. Obviously, we're halfway through the year, so that means nothing. <laughs> but... I'm pumped beyond belief for Doom Eternal. And yeah, I think that that's, that, that could, that's the one that could possibly usurp it for me. All of these, I mean, I would also throw in Bloodstain for me. Mm -hmm. Shovel Knight's King of Cards would be in that mix probably for me. So I'm, I'm just a different I mean, gamer. fuck, maybe Crash Team Racing. I don't know. Yeah, CTR could that be could in be there. That be amazing. But out of the big ones, I think that Phil is forgetting Resident Evil 2. Uh, Resident Evil 2, with the ex I didn't beat it. It's because it came out so early. Yeah. Like, that's the problem with coming out so early is that people just forget about you. That's true. Sekiro came out kind of early, too. Mm -hmm. Death Stranding, I still don't believe is really going to come out this year, but I guess it probably will. By the way, it sh we should note that there are rumors emerging that The Last of Us Part Two is, is slated for February. These stories all are basically just citing each other. So it's just one major fucking circle, which yeah, is what game journalism is. So I don't know if that's true or not, but if that's true, then Death Stranding can't be pushed. So that's important to note as well. Yeah. But yeah, Doom Eternal looks great. Borderlands 3 looks fucking awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about that one, too. Jet Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order looks great. You know, I've heard good. I've heard so. I've heard, I heard that there's like a fog of war in in that game. So it's like a, an open world kind of Metroidvania almost. Really, which is neat. Cool. That sounds cool. That sounds cool as shit. You know yeah. how I feel about Metroidvanias. I'm I'm down with it. You know how I feel about it, Chris. That's all I have for this week. That's a good. Uh, that's a good little hefty bit of meat that we got here. Oh, I love. I have. Speaking of hefty bags of meat, is that what you said? Yeah, no, you didn't I, say hefty I, bag of meat. I said something like that. I don't know. I don't even remember what I said like a minute ago, to be the honest. The people who dress up in dog outfits. Oh, yeah. Often have hefty bags of meat, which they share with other people in dog outfits. Oh, man. So Just won't a, you think about that today? I probably won't be able to stop now. Yeah, please. Thank you. <laughs> Chris, appreciate your time. Of course. As we are over the hill now. Episode yeah. 50, we're now E3 working is, our... E3 is done, and we're almost on, a, what, 52 now, almost? Yeah, almost 52, which will be one year. That'd be crazy. So next year is technically the year anniversary of the show. Look at that. Because we've never missed a week. And unless one of us is dead, I assume we never will miss a week. Probably not. 
Remember, you can get the show three days early and ad-free by going to patreon.com slash Stand. That's also how you submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show. It supports my other shows as well. We cannot do it without you. Thank you so much for the love, kindness, and support you show us there as well. If you listen on free feeds, please continue to do so. We love our freeloading audience as well. Tell your friends, <laughs> family, etc., about our show. You can buy merch at tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts. We'll have more merch soon. That's in the works as well. Awesome. Chris, do you have any final comments? I'm, I'm starving, honestly. Mm, mm. I'm dying. Well, Chris is going to die, so we're going to let him go. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Thank you for your love. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, CJ Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Boisford, Michael Josiah Borison, Barrett Boswell, Daniel Boyer, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Jimmy Brown, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lassiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Michael Shanholz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Jacob Turnboff, Phil Van Rall, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayan, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Organic Produce, Madmock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Crisk, Donk2015, and Gavin. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. 
Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.